Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. The dust has settled on the NFL draft, and now that we've caught our breath, it's time to take a look back on what may have been a special three days for the New York Jets. Tim McMaster along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Dunn, who is back from Las Vegas. She did not strike it rich. In fact, she tells us she didn't gamble at all. Marissa, come on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are going to get back, back with something. While Marissa is coughing, uh, make sure you leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify and uh, subscribe to the YouTube page as well. We're up over 5,000 uh, subscribers. Let's get it to 10,000. That That is next. Marissa, are you okay? I'm okay. Um, yeah, no gambling, but um, I did get to see Dane Brugler in action, which was much better than hitting a pig at the uh, slots. He was awesome to watch and listen to. Um, and I hear, I'm not sure, but I hear the Jets like won the draft. Is that uh, is that a thing? That's <laughs> sure what it sounds like. I think that that's yeah. absolutely what it sounds like. I mean, it's actually, it's surprising to see the sheer amount of universal praise yep. from just about everybody. I mean, it, it's it's not just media. It's not just in New York. It's not just on the East Coast. I mean, it's everywhere to the point where I actually told somebody over in the building the other day. I was I was like casually sitting there and um, uh, an executive, uh, a director of pro personnel for an NFC team. One of the guys I've gotten to know pretty well over the years uh, gave me a call like after the draft just to kind of shoot the shit and, and talk for a little bit and, and catch up. And, um, and, and he turns around and like halfway through the conversation, he goes, Hey, he goes, I meant to tell you your boys over there are doing a pretty damn good job. So it's like, it's not even just like the, the, the media fodder. Cause obviously look, media are going to blow up. Like the jets have three first round picks, right? I mean, everyone's gonna say, Oh my God, they did a great draft because they got three first round picks, you know, all those things. But this is actually all around the league. People are taking notice of the jets. I mean, other teams and other conferences are taking note of the jets and looking over here, seeing what Joe Douglas is doing and saying, you know what? That's, that's pretty impressive. 
So if you were on vacation under a rock somewhere else and are just getting back into your Jets fandom, here's how it shook down. Uh, three first pick round picks, as Connor mentioned. I'm on Sauce Gardner, number one uh, at the fourth pick, the cornerback out of Cincinnati. Garrett Wilson, the receiver out of Ohio State with the number 10 pick. I had a coffee pick. delivery. Sorry for that, Tim. All I had right. a coffee delivery. Bree didn't want to go on camera. <laughs> and then she started yelling at the dog because the dog was in here. I was like, it's, she's fine. She just sits in the corner and doesn't do anything. But yeah, sorry about that. Go on. All, all, all good. Uh, they trade back into the first round. Get Jermaine Johnson at number 26, the edge rusher from Florida State. Day two, it was Brees Hall at 36. They traded up for that, the running back out of Iowa State. Then a 101, they got Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end out of Ohio State. And then on day three, a couple of fourth round picks early on. They go Max Mitchell, finally going with an offensive lineman, uh, Louisiana. And then Michael Clemens, another edge rusher out of Texas A&M. Uh, that's how it shook down, Connor. One thing that I thought was interesting, uh, Robert saw on Saturday after was everything was kind of said and done with an interview, I think it was with SNY, uh, and they were just talking about how the draft turned out first round. And he said that, that if Wilson had actually gone number eight and Drake London was there, the Jets probably go with Jermaine Johnson at 10. And to think about that, to think if Garrett Wilson just goes two picks earlier, they get Johnson, they probably don't trade back into the first round. It really changes everything just because of one little thing there in the first round. Who knows what players we'd be talking about right now, um, but that's not how it turned out. But but it was interesting to hear Salah kind of admit to, to what they would have gone, uh, what direction they would have gone if, if that had been the case. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, obviously, there's, there's, you hear rumors and you hear rumblings and all that going into the draft. And, and I think the one that was the worst kept secret or the one that was universally shared by just about every single person you were going to talk to um, or talk about was that how much the Jets loved Jermaine Johnson. Like, that was the one that was just universally shared by everyone, whether it was different teams, different scouts, different media members, different, it was almost like Joe Douglas loves Jermaine Johnson. And if he loves him that much, and he doesn't think he's going to be there at, at 10. Could he potentially move up and get him at four? And, and it was it was the talk, and it was running rampant. It was how much the Jets love Johnson. And there's reason for it. I mean, this is a guy, yeah, he's a little bit older. Uh, he's on the older end of side for rookies, obviously. But he is almost a perfect tailor-made fit for this Jet defense, right? I mean, he's an attacking, ferocious pass rusher. He is the most pro-ready pass rusher or was the most pro-ready pass rusher in the draft, Robert Sala believed, and he told us. And they believed that taking him and putting him into this defense, putting him into Robert Sala's defensive scheme, that wide nine Washburn defensive front, is just going to unlock and untap what this kid's capable of. And it is a little surprising and a little like noteworthy that the Jets had this top 10 grade and were ready to take this kid top 10 overall. And he was still there at 26, which is why I think we talked about this in the last podcast. Honestly, the last few days all kind of bleed together over, over what I said and where I said it. But um, there was a lot of talk about, you know, why Jermaine Johnson slid. Why, why was he available there at 26 when the Jets were able to get him there at 10? And there was another team that was picking top 10 that was one of the teams that was believed to be in contention for Johnson that was going to prevent the Jets from getting him. So it was one of those teams, top 10, that was like, oh, you know, if the if the Jets, if the Jets don't take him at four, he's going to potentially go here or he's going to potentially go here. And, and I talked to one person who was an executive over on that team. And I was like during the draft and I was like, hey, man, like I thought you guys were going to be in the running for Johnson. He's still there at 2021 right now. Like what's going on? Why is this kid sliding? And the way that he described it to me was that from a person person standpoint, like a personality standpoint, 
there were no concerns with Jermaine Johnson. But the reason why he slid and he said he was, I, th I think it was more media hype that elevated his stock than it was his actual stock because he is a little bit older. That comes into play. He didn't have a ton of production at Georgia and the amount of production that he had didn't peak and didn't come around until he went to Florida state and the FC or ACC. So he went to Florida state and ACC. That's when suddenly he blows up. He goes, that's a little bit of a, a cause for concern, a little bit of a red flag that you didn't do it in the SEC. Now you go to the ACC and suddenly you're all world. He said, the other thing that made us not want to draft him that early was when you look at his production and you see the number, you, you break up analytically exactly how he was able to get his production. There were a ton of sacks. Obviously I think it was like 11 or 12. He had as a senior. There were not a lot of quarterback hits. There were not a lot of quarterback hurries. Quarterback hurries and quarterback hits are replicable. So when you hit the quarterback and you hurry the quarterback, that's usually a sign that it's going to be replicable. And then eventually those quarterback hits and those quarterback hurries will lead to sacks. If you have all three hits, hurries, and sacks, that's a good thing. When you just have sacks and you don't have a lot of quarterback hurries and you don't have a lot of quarterback hits or the hurries and hits are not, um, they don't add up with the number of sacks you have, Sometimes what that will tell NFL scouts and NFL evaluators is that you might be quote unquote lucking yourself into sacks. You know, you might just have, you know, all right, the, the you got a dominant rush on the right side, which pushes the quarterback left up into the pocket and he's right in your lap and you get a sack for that. You didn't hit the guy. You didn't hurry the guy. You didn't get into his face. The quarterback just kind of rolled into you and you were the one that brought him to the ground. So a lot of sacks that will, a lot of sacks without a lot of quarterback hits and hurries will sometimes scare some teams off because they don't think that's replicable. Compared to if they have a lot of hurries and a lot of hits, that will tell them, okay, you know what? This can we can work on this guy. He just needs a little bit faster step, and he's got those sacks will come. You know, the, the old Casey Rogers line of like sacks come in bunches. You know, if you have the hits and the hurries, the sacks will come in bunches. Those weren't necessarily there with Jermaine Johnson, which is why he started to slide. That's how another team felt. That is not how the Jets felt. I think I, I made this pretty clear that the, the Jets were one of those teams where they loved. This kid, they loved his personality. They loved his makeup. They loved the way that he's going to fit within Robert Sala's defense. They love that he's cocky, but not cocky to the point of it being a detriment, just to the point where he believes so wholeheartedly in what he's going to accomplish, what he's going to do on the field, that he's going to take his play to another level. And 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 I think I said this before, like where we talked about uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who ended up going five to the Giants. KT was not an option for the Jets at four. He was not an option for the Jets at 10. And he was not an option for the Jets at four or an option for the Jets at 10 because they knew if they were going to take a pass rusher at four and 10, they were going to take Jermaine Johnson. They had a higher grade on than KT. So the fact that they were able to get this kid, where they got this kid and add him to the massive hall of picks of Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner, it really was. I mean, look, honestly, anything that happened rounds two through seven on would have been a cherry on top for Joe Douglas and the Jets. Instead, he went from those first three picks to then rounding out the draft in a way that it is, I, I I will be completely honest with you, aside from one or two commenters in the athletic comment section, I have not been able to find one person who has, said, who has a down or negative word to say about this draft for the Jets. It really does look like a home run hit. Obviously, we got to see how these kids develop. Obviously, we got to see how these kids uh, actually play in the NFL. But from a, a, a what the Jets did, where they were picking, and the potential of this group, it's the best draft I've ever seen a team put together in my time covering the NFL dating back to 2014. And it's certainly the best draft the Jets general manager has had since 2014. So now let's see what happens with it. Yeah, it seems like the only other team that's getting kind of, hey, they won the draft credit is the Ravens, who <laughs> just oh. like on sheer quantity, they have like 11 guys coming out of this draft. But even you look um, at the guys that they picked, though, like Tim, like they had the Ravens draft, right? Like they right. draft that, that exactly. That guy. Yeah. The guy who has like who who's a top ten player 
who tears his, who ruptures his Achilles tendon in the uh, on, on his pro day. So then they end up getting him in the second round. Then they come back and they grab the pass. Like they don't ever draft sexy. Like very rarely do they draft the receivers or the corners or things like that. They just find these value picks and they continue to add these value picks. And because of how good the Ravens have been for so long, because of how that's this stretch run that they've been on, really since Ozzie Newsom has been that general manager where they're kind of like the Steelers and that they're never a bad team. They're just varying degrees of good. They're in this position where they really are set at most roster spots. Like, yeah, you can find weak spots. Yeah, they can improve somewhere, some places. But they're set in so many ways where when they are at the clock on the clock, they really can take the best player available. Like, they really can do that. They then develop that guy for a year. And when the player in front of him leaves in free agency, you now have the player that you drafted in 21 or 22 filling in in 22, 23, 24 and stepping in as the starter. And it's this awesome little rotation of talent which is why you very rarely see the Ravens be players in the free agent market or, or the top tier market of free agency or where they let some of their guys go like they did with uh, Zedarius Smith when he walked or like they did with Matt Judon when he walked because they have these players that they've drafted and developed who they're now ready to step in and fill in and take over and, and, and be starters. And I remember talking to Joe Douglas um, during like the, the Jets always set up these like off the record powwows where like you can just talk to the GM for like 20, 30 minutes at these different league events. And I remember talking to Joe about free agency in this upcoming draft. Like, hey, you're going to be you're going to be more like, are you feeling the heat? Like, is it, are you feeling the heat to, that you have to turn this up another level that you have to feel the pressure to put some winners on the board? Like where you have to spend a little more in free agency. And he said, no, you know, we're, we're kind of we're going to stay being aggressive. We're going to stay being aggressive. But he said, ideally, the goal is that eventually we become the Baltimore Ravens, that we want to become a, become a team where we round out our starters with talent. And then we have depth and then we have game changers. But as those starters get to a point where maybe they're going to fetch a contract in the free agent market that we don't want to pay, we can let those guys go because we got someone in the pipeline that we can eventually replace them and, and do. And that's why you have every, you can, Tim, you can go every single year. You look at what the Ravens do in the draft and you can say the Ravens are winners in the NFL draft because they literally, they never reach for anything. They'll take the other interior offensive lineman. They took that, uh, that six eight tackle for Minnesota, who I thought the Jets could play, they added him to the board. Like, he's probably starting for this team in two years. Like they just constantly draft the best player available. They trust their system and they let their free agent walk to replace with the players. And it's you, you, when you combine a franchise quarterback like they have in Lamar Jackson, a franchise head coach like they have in Harbaugh, and then a hell of a front office like they have, which have all all of those guys have have cut have cut their teeth from Ozzie Newsom. You get an organization like you have with the Ravens, which is what the Jets are trying to replicate here in Florham Park. It's just going to take a little bit to do what the Ravens did because this is going back, you know, 10, 15 years to when they started getting this ball really rolling. Yeah, I remember Lamar Jackson, not even high, right? He dropped he dropped in that draft, right? To it's you the know, smart to drafting, high. though, right? Because yep. he was good yeah. when they draft him 32nd, right? So yeah, it's the last smart drafting. The yes, but they trade up into the first round to get Lamar Jackson. The reason they trade up to get Lamar Jackson at 32 instead of waiting for the first round to end and then just getting him in the second round, which they easily could have done, is because now they get the fifth year option. So it's the, it's the next level thinking. It's the years down the road thinking of, okay, you know, yeah, maybe Lamar makes it. Maybe Lamar doesn't make it. But if he does make it, we now have him on a fifth-year option. Then we have him on the franchise tag. So it's two extra years of team control compared to the big waited until the first or second pick of the second round. They lose those two years of team control. It's wild. It's, it really is fascinating. It really is fascinating the way that they work. And if you want like a, a, a long road, how do you think the Jets are going to be running in five, six years if this thing really works for Joe Douglas and these guys? It's the Baltimore Ravens. 
Yeah, that is the mold. That's what you want to do. All right. The one, the, the guys we didn't talk about from the draft, Connor, in our podcast over the weekend was the day three guys. So we should touch on them. Uh, finally, they go offensive line with Max Mitchell out of Louisiana and then Michael Clemens. Uh, but Mitchell, um, 111. And the cool thing about these picks for the Jets, even though it's day three, they're both fourth rounders fairly early in the fourth round. So they're still guys that you have high expectations for. So what are the expectations for Mitchell? The only negative I heard was that he has the the short arms. No one wants to have short arms on the offensive line. But other than that, it seems like he's a fiery guy that, that fits what this team's looking to do. Yeah, I heard from one person uh, inside the Jets building who, who said that this was one of his favorite picks of the entire draft. Like the, that he really like the two names that I heard that were were favorites, like kind of just type pulling the people that, you know, in the building. And, and you kind of say, like, oh, who do you like? Who do you like? Who do you like? Who do you like? Uh, the two the the two resounding ones that kept coming up over and over and over again of like the, the you know, the, the non obvious ones is I heard a lot about Ruckert, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I heard a lot about loving him and, and him being literally the number one tight end on the Jets board and then being able to get him in the third round. They were thrilled with that one. So we'll talk about that in a bit. And then obviously Mitchell. Like I heard a lot about Mitchell and and, and these guys really liking Mitchell. And the reason for it is that I don't know if Mitchell's ever going to be a starting offensive guard for this team. Uh, if he is, it's probably not a great sign because it means that Lakin didn't develop and, and Elijah didn't develop. But I don't know if, if Mitchell's ever going to be a starting guard. I don't know if he's ever going to be a tackle. The Jets certainly hope he's never going to be a starting tackle because that means that Fant and Beckton both developed. But what they did in, in adding this guy is they added a player who they believe does have legitimate upside. They added a player who they believe has serious versatility because he can play both guard positions, both tackle positions. The only spot he can't play up front is center. And he's somebody who, if you develop and you put the time into him and, and you get you get him moving, moving in the right direction a little bit, over the course of the next four years, throughout the length of this rookie contract, you now have a player who can play at left guard, right guard, left tackle, right tackle. And that versatility, that depth, that ability to play all of those positions on the offensive line, fans often and, and, and media, media fans, everyone like talking heads, we sometimes get so caught up in like the starters, right? And the stars. And you want the game changers. You want the all pros. You want the dynamic players. You want the, oh my God, look what this guy is. Holy cow, you got the... You got the 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 Jefferson, right? And and you got the Jalen Ramsey. And oh, you got the elite playmakers. You got the Jamar Chase. Like, yeah, you're like those are the players that sell tickets. Those are the players that steal highlights on ESPN and NFL Network. Those are the players that everyone wants to draft on their fantasy teams. But among the reasons why the Jets have been in their their year after year, decade plus long rut is not just because they're they're defunct of 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 game changers, and not just because their starters aren't very good, but because they don't have any depth. So when they have these average to slightly above average starters and then players like Corey Davis go down for a little bit or players like Makai Becton go down for a little bit or George Fant goes down for a little bit or Bryce Hall go, or he's played every game. But like the corner, Brandon Eccles goes down for a little bit or Marcus May goes down for a little bit. Among the reasons why the Jets have all of their problems are because there's no depth behind these guys either. They have they don't have starters. They don't have game changers and they don't have depth. So when you don't have stars and your starter who's filling in as a star goes down, and then you have to have the depth fill in. Well, the depth isn't good anyway, so now you're really just taking, already you're a step below the competition. Now you're two and three steps below the competition because of who you have out there. So Joe Douglas, when he took on this six-year contract for the Jets, this undertaking, this, this, this massive undertaking of rebuilding this team and getting this team back to prominence, it wasn't just about finding the stars. It wasn't just about the starters. It was about rebuilding the depth behind these guys. And Mitchell goes a very long way in doing that. He's a depth piece. He's never going to be the star. 
He's never going to be chanted about. You'll probably have some hardcore fans that are like, we sh he should be getting more minutes. Elijah Vera Tucker had a bad game. Put Max Mitchell in. You're, you're going to have that. But the way that the Jets view this guy is that they just added a player in the fourth round who for the next five years is going to develop and lead to a minimal drop-off if something happens to Fant, Becton, Vera Tucker, Tomlinson across that offensive line. And that's an incredibly valuable piece to have. And then the the next pick, five six picks later is Michael Clemens, the edge rusher. So they go back to the edge for more rush out of Texas A and M. Obviously, an SDC guy. Uh, just talk about how he fits. It's 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 funny. Like I I literally wrote this sentence on like the final day of the draft, and and I tweeted about it too. Where like we've now reached a point in covering the Jets where I felt the need to criticize this team. Because they went with more playmakers in the third round and running back and tight end and another pass rusher with their final pick in the fourth round in Clemens, outside pass rusher, defensive end, instead of addressing safety and interior defensive yep. line. Like, like they didn't address safety and interior defensive line. And, and we can go there too, because that was that was actually my next topic was why didn't they draft a safety? So if you want to just throw no, that it's in it's too. not. There's nothing sexy to that answer. It's just it's the best. The, he there wasn't a safety on the best player available to the board. Like they could have gone with the kid from Oregon or Penn State, but they went with Brees Hall. You know what I mean? They could have gone with an interior defensive lineman here, but they like the upside of Clemens. But we we <laughs> it's it was not long ago that it was every single year this team seemed like they were drafting a 34 defensive end in the first round, whether it was Mo Wilkerson or whether it was Sheldon Richardson or whether it was Leonard Williams or whether it was Quinn and Williams. And I remember every single year when they would draft these guys, top five, top 10, whatever the hell it was sitting there and thinking like there is one defensive tackle to there were, there were two defensive tackles, 34 defensive ends, who were like, I think, worthy of being a top 10 pick. And it was Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt. Those are the two across the entire NFL that were just so ferocious game changers that they, in my opinion, were of greater value than the equal defensive end. You know what I mean? I, there's there's no other. You can say that the kid from, from um, his name's escaping me, uh, Jones, I think his last name, is the kid from Kansas City. Uh, the re the really good defensive end from Kansas or defensive tackle from Kansas City he was playing thirty four defensive end, then switched to defensive tackle, then they moved him back to defensive end. Chris, Chris Jones, yeah, Chris Jones. He's a do he's a dominant player. I would take Nick Bosa over him every single day of the week. It goes back to when the Jets drafted Quinn and Williams, and and my argument with drafting Quinn and Williams was like, yeah, Quinn and Williams might be the best player on the board, but Josh Allen was there too, the pass rusher Josh Allen. And I was like, you know what? Even if Josh Allen's maybe a tick or two below Quinn and Williams in terms of like your overall grade, in my opinion, getting that pass rusher, he's going to make more of an impact on Sundays than your 34 defensive end. Plus, at the time, the Jets already had Henry Anderson, Leonard Williams, and I think it was Steve McClendon in the middle. So I was like, all right, you add Josh Allen. Now you put Josh Allen next to Leonard Williams. Now you get Quinn and Williams. Now it's like, okay, who's going to play where? You know, it's, it's like a who's on first. And then you're throwing Foley Fatakasi as well. Like who's going where in this situation? So... I remember like just not believing in like, just, just don't take the interior defensive lineman anymore. Take them. And, and we had drafts where it was every single year, the jets were taking the 34 defensive end or the defensive tackle and every single, or it was the draft in, in with Jamal Adams, where they went safety, safety in the first and second round two non-premium positions, two positions that really don't make that big of an impact on Sundays. And the jets drafted them with their first round pick and their second round pick. And I'm sitting there. I was like, man, I'm about to criticize a GM because he didn't because he chose to draft more pass rushers 
and more playmakers and more offensive line depth instead of a safety and defensive end. And that one got deleted really, really quick. And I was like, there is no criticism. If you want to say like they should have done this, fine. But at the end of the day, man, you just got another pass rusher to give to the pass rusher crazed defensive minded head coach, Robert Sala. And, and with Clemens, I mean, this guy is a, a fascinating player. I, I think he is. And we talked to Joe, we talked to Joe Douglas about this after the draft. He is somebody that they believe is a first round talent. Like they believe that this guy was a day one, day two talent who fell to them on the final day of the draft with their final fourth round pick because of the fact that he had injury issues because of the fact he's a little bit older because of the fact that he has off field concerns. Like he got arrested. What was it twice in like a, a six month span or something like that? Like yeah. he was arrested twice. Like there's some off field issues. There's some obviously injury issues. There's some age issues, but from a performance standpoint, from just a talent standpoint, if you just look at the football player in a vacuum, the guy's a day one day two pick. I mean, he is a nasty SOB when he's going after the quarterback. He has speed to get to the passer. He has a ferocious bull rush move to get to the passer. He is just, like I said, nasty. He's just a nasty SOB. And the Jets wanted to get nastier on both sides of the line. They wanted to get nastier on the offensive line and nastier on the defensive line. And, and Clemens might be one of those dudes who piss off a lot of offensive linemen. He might be a guy that gets one or two defensive uh, the, the, uh, uh, personal foul pennies, penalties throughout the course of the season. But they're going to take it because they're going to love it. Because this is a kid who, if they're able to keep him healthy and keep him on the right track off the field, you're just adding another pass rusher to this team's disposal. And, and I know, like, there was, I, was, I was surprised at the number of Jet fans that got kind of worked up and ornery with me uh, after the draft because, you know, I, I tweeted out, like, just how crazy the depth chart has changed from 2019 to 2022 in terms of just how much Joe Douglas has been able to adjust the starters. I mean, the only starter that is from two that started in 2019 that is still on this, uh, still starting in 2022 is CJ Mosley. Quinton Williams was also part of that 2019 team, but he was on a rotation. So, so the only starter was CJ Mosley. He's changed that all. So when I wrote out the defensive starters, I wrote out the Jets base defense, which is going to include Carl Lawson at defensive end, John Franklin Myers at defensive end, Quinton Williams at defensive tackle, and, and, and Sheldon Rankins at defensive tackle. And people immediately were like, what the hell are you talking about? Jermaine Johnson is a starter. Jermaine Johnson is a starter. Jermaine Johnson is a starter. I was like, yes, Jermaine Johnson is a starter when the Jets then go into their pass rush package, which could happen on second down, could happen on third. And this guy's going to play a shit ton of snaps, but in their actual 4-3 defense, He's not going to be the starter because they're going to take John Franklin Myers and they're going to put JFM in a defensive tackle and they're going to have Carl Lawson at defensive end, Johnson at defensive end, John Franklin Myers at defensive tackle and um, Quinnen Williams at defensive tackle. And that's going to be like their A1, 1A ace of a pass rush package. And it makes sense because John Franklin Myers can create more of issues inside. He's much, he's very much like Brandon Graham, Justin Tuck, where he can create more of issues inside, but he's a better, he's not big enough to, to play run defense as a defensive tackle. Like he's just not, he's, he's better on the outside and run situations inside and pass situations because of how disruptive he is. So everyone was losing their mind. And I was like, guys, let's take it back a step because you have to realize the, what Joe Douglas has done with this defensive line. Like you have to realize just how much growth and talent he is infused into this defensive line. You can disagree with what I'm about to say, but this is just the way that it's going to work as long as Robert Sala is the head coach. Sala does not believe that it is possible, and we've said this on this podcast before. He does not believe that it is possible for defensive linemen, because of their size, to go 100 miles an hour and give maximum effort if they're on the field for 75 to 80 plays a game. 
He just doesn't believe that's possible. They have to, because of their size, go 70% on one play or 80% on one play or 65% on one play because they need to regroup that stamina. They still go 100% more times than not, but they can't give it every single play because of how big they are. And it's just not possible. Like the, the Aaron Donalds are an anomaly. But honestly, if you talk to Salah, Aaron, he will pull up film where he says he's not 100% on this play. He's that he's 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 regrouping. He's just he's better than everybody player. at seventy percent. Yeah, but he's not a hundred. He'll show you he's not hundred percent on this play. He'll show you like he, he'll say he'll show it. Now he's so dominant on every other play. You don't, who gives a shit if he goes seventy percent on this one because his seventy percent still better than everyone else's hundred percent. But he's not doing it. So what Salah wants to do, and it's what he did in San Francisco, and what he wants to replicate in New York, is that he wants to create a rotation where his defensive linemen, whoever is on the field, whenever they are on the field. They are able to give maximum effort. That's why Quinn and Williams, who was the Jets' best defensive player last year, was still only playing about 65 to 75% of the snaps because Salah's goal was, okay, we'll take him off to let him breathe on those other plays, put other guys on the field. But now when we put Quinn back in, he's 100 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. Okay, come off, get a breathe. 100 miles an hour, 100. It's like shot hockey shifts. And it's basically what he wants to create is he wants to create hockey shifts on his defensive line where, where you're out there, you're going 100 miles an hour, then you get your little breather, then you're back out there. Last year, the problem with the Jets was that when Quinn and Williams came off or you had John Franklin Myers come off or you had uh, uh, who is the guy they signed that Shaq Lawson, you had Shaq Lawson come off. The Jets had all these like just another guys checking in. You know, you had Tanzel Smart playing snaps. You had Nathan Shepard playing 55, 60 percent of the snaps you had. You didn't really have you had uh, uh, Tim Ward playing as another pass rusher to check in and be a, a pass rusher. You didn't really have like. Salah wanted this. He put the the theory into practice, but he didn't have the the players at his disposal. He didn't have the roster at his as disposal to really make that idea and that concept work. Now, all these people who are like Jermaine Johnson, why wasn't he your listed base starter? Who gives a crap? Because when the Jets trot out their defensive line in different pass rushing situations, the names at their disposal: Carl Lawson, Jermaine Johnson, John Franklin Myers, Sheldon Rankins, Quinnen Williams, Bryce Huff, Jacob Martin. Michael Clemens, Vinny Curry. Like the list goes on and on and on. And I'll be honest with you, I probably missed one. Like there's so many of these guys. I got to bring up the story because I wrote it the other day. And every time I went down the roster, I was like, oh, I got to add this name. Oh, I got to add this name. Oh, I got to add this name. Because it really is like wholesale top to bottom. Apparently I'm not signed into the athletics, so I can't bring up the story that I wrote the other day to like list their entire defense. I had it and I literally just deleted it or next out of it, but okay. Yeah. So I have to do the whole login thing and I don't think it's going to work. But when you look at this defensive line, the jets have now officially created Robert Sala's dream scenario. And obviously if you ask him, he's going to tell you like, no, we still need more. No, we still need like, he's like, Joe, Joe can never have enough offensive linemen. Robert can never have enough defensive linemen, but the defensive lineman at his disposal, dude, it really is just, I finally got it up here. All right, let's go down to defensive line. So I defensive have it up line. too. Yeah, so we, all right, good timing. So this is like, we were talking last year about uh, guys like Tanzel Smart playing reps and Nathan Shepard playing a ton of reps and, and Shaq Lawson playing a ton of reps. Now the defensive line that the Jets are going to have rotating, because remember, you can only put four of these guys on the field at one point in time. The rotation that these guys are going to have, Carl Lawson, Quinn and Williams, Sheldon Rankins, John Franklin Myers, they are your starters, right? All of those guys can rush the passer. Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers, their Kate Quinn and Williams are probably capable of eight plus sacks every single year themselves. Sheldon Rankins is a five to six sacks guy. You then go to the bench behind them. You've got Jermaine Johnson, Bryce Huff, whom the Jets absolutely love, Jake, Jacob Martin, who they signed, Vinnie Curry, Michael Clemens. 
Like this Solomon is like Thomas, the, who they signed too. Yeah, he's more run stuffer than than pass rusher. But yeah, Solomon Thomas is in there as well. Like they have this insane rotation of guys who can just go and attack and get the quarterback, and it's it's wild. And Clemens is just another one thrown into the mix. He's another guy out there, and again, he's got to make sure he stays healthy. He has to make sure he stays he stays out of trouble when he's on the field and when he's off the field. But as long as he does those two things, it's another first or second round talent who the Jets have just tossed into this defensive line. It's wild. It is absolutely wild. And what really takes this to the next level and really elevates this to the next level is that the past solid defenses relied on their defensive line to get home to alleviate the pressure of the cornerbacks. That's the way that he structured his defenses. You had the defensive line and you had the rangy safeties. And as long as you had the defensive line and rangy safeties, you didn't need dominance on the, on the corner position. The Jets last year, Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, Michael Carter were their three cornerbacks. The Jets this year have Sauce Gardner as a starter. They have DJ Reed as a starter, and they have Mike Carter in the nickel. Those three corners are capable now of causing the quarterback to hitch. They have the ability to lock onto the receivers in man or zone coverage to the point where when the quarterback wants to throw it now, he's got to say, hold on, he's not there. Let's go to two. And when he goes to two, that hitch, that's all the time that the pass rush is going to need to get home. So the Jets now have perfectly, over the course of the last two, two and a half years, married their pass rush with their secondary. And they are going to make, I was going to say beautiful love. And I was like, is that appropriate? That's probably your love. They are going to make beautiful pass rushing love. Music. And quarterback. Music. Yeah, 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 start the music. Yeah, start the, uh, give, give some, uh, uh, let's make love tonight. Start playing. In no, the no, no. They're going to make beautiful music, you could say. Oh, I thought Marissa wanted background. Marissa's music. cleaning so, things up. Setting the face. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the G version. Come on. We got kids yeah. listening this time. No, I'm, I'm sticking with it. Yeah, no, they're fine. They, they, the bird, they've probably had the birds and the bees talk. I think kids have that in like kindergarten now. I waited a while. I don't think that's the case anymore. <laughs> Connor they have, no, I'm, I'm going. They, the pass rush The pass rush in this secondary is going to make beautiful, beautiful quarterback ruining love every single Sunday. And they really have as long as they stay, they stay healthy because – you got to give. You got to tip your hat to Joe Douglas. You got to tip your hat to Robert Sala. And, and you know, we wrote the story on the Athletic a while ago about the um, the the way that they changed their overall draft philosophy. How that meeting of the minds, where Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, Robert Sala had every single one of his coaches on staff give a meeting and a presentation to every single scout and front office executive about exactly the type of player that they need to make their scheme work. And it changed the way that the Jets scout, and it changed the way the Jets going into this thing. And it happened before the when Sala was hired. So it's been the 2021 and 22 drafts when it's been happening. You can now see it coming together. And obviously these kids are super young. They're going to make a ton of mistakes and they got to develop. But if they develop and if they reach their potential, you see the makings of just really, really, really good things here in New York. Obviously it all comes down to Zach Wilson, but from a, a town perspective around him, the Jets have created an environment where they can help Zach on defense and they sure as hell can help him on offense. All right, let's talk about offense a little bit then and the line, because going into this draft, we thought, you know, number four, who knows? Maybe it, it pans out that they end up with Icky there. They go offensive line early on, and then suddenly you're thinking, well, there's there's definitely a lack of faith in, in what's going to happen with Mekhi Becton. Um, Mekhi Becton made out pretty well in this draft, all in all, when you look at it. Um, obviously, they get Mitchell at, at 111, um, but that said, there's definitely going to be pressure on Becton this season to, to get it going, right, Connor? I mean, there was a chance that they 
he would have been like the backup heading into training camp, depending on how this draft worked out. Now he's still a guy, but obviously he needs to step up if this team is going to get to the the goals they want to reach in 2022. Yeah, I, th- I think this is like w- when you look across the, the every position on the Jets roster, quarterback, running back, receiver, offensive line, defensive line, cornerback, safety, you kind of see the ceiling of potential and you see the the basement, right? And I think that for the only two positions where the basement is significantly low, like where like the boom or bust potential is so, so high is you have quarterback just because obviously we haven't seen it from Zach Wilson yet. You believe you are the Jets are hell bent in their belief, but you just, you haven't seen it with your eyes to be like, yeah, this kid's a franchise quarterback. So there's obviously like when you don't know, you're going into a season with a lower basement. Like I think he's going to be fine, but like it's, it's a lower basement. The other one that is a, a substantial and in my opinion, more alarming basement, more alarming floor, more alarming. What are we going to like? What's going to happen here is the offensive line, because if all things go according to plan for the jets and this thing goes how they hope it's going to go, they are more than fine on the offensive line, because it means that George Fant is going to pick up exactly where he left off at. And despite the fact he's now into his thirties, he hasn't played that much football at all. I'm not even talking about snaps. Like in his life, he hasn't played that much football. So he's going to be even better in 2022 than he was in 2021. So you're set at left tackle. You know, Lakin Tomlinson's a pro bowl guard. You believe Elijah Tucker, Barry Tucker is a pro bowl guard. You really like what you got in Connor McGovern. So you're set there. And then obviously if everything goes according to the jets way, Makai Becton comes back in shape, motivated, dominant, and returns and shows the Pro Bowl potential and flashes the Pro Bowl potential that everyone thought he had when he was the 11th overall pick in the draft. That offensive line right there, one through five, is, if it goes that route, has a chance to not be average, not be above average, but be a very good offensive line. Like, collectively, that group has the chance to, I don't know if it's to the point where we're like, wow, they're one of the best offensive lines in the NFL but they would be top 10 in the NFL. So if top 10's best, yeah, then best. I don't think they're top five, but I think they would be top 10 in the NFL if that all goes according to plan. The problem is that if it doesn't go according to plan, George Fant throughout the length of his, throughout the tenure of his, of his NFL career, go back to his days in Seattle, he's never been an overly durable player. Like we talk a lot about Makai Becton's durability, and we're going to talk a lot about Makai Becton's durability in a second here, but George Fant hasn't been overly reliable. Last year was the best year of George Fant's career And he still was never great. I don't even think he was good. I would say he was average and slightly above average. The Jets' infatuation with George Fant, the coaching staff's infatuation with George Fant, has kind of elevated and inflated just how good last year was. He wasn't Jonathan Ogden, right? He wasn't Joe Thomas. Like, he was, like, just competent. Like, I think he was a solid left tackle. And because he was solid, that was viewed as, like, this unbelievable season for a left tackle because of how many issues the Jets have had on the left side of their line. That's a big issue where if he regresses to the mean or he gets hurt again, then you go to the other side with Becton, which we've talked about a lot. The guy has the guy's weight has ballooned to over 400 pounds in both year one and year two of his NFL career. He has not stayed healthy in year one or year two of his NFL career. There were performance concerns last year throughout the length of training camp to the point where Mike LaFleur called him out publicly, which were not related to his health, which were not related to his weight. That was when he was in shape for the Jets and he was still struggling immensely. The Jets believe, and they had a, a, a very honest, honest conversation with him during their exit meetings. They believe that they've motivated him to the point where he's going to come back like a bat out of hell. They think that him having this baby is also going to help him mature to another level. The concern, though, is that if Beckton doesn't 
and the weight issues persist or the durability issues persist or the durability issues are fixed and the weight issues are fixed, but the performance issues uh, come back. The Jets don't have anyone behind these two guys to solidify and fix the offensive line to stabilize it. Last year, they had Morgan Moses. So when Fant had his career year and that was like, okay, cross that one off. We're not worried about it. But then Becton imploded. They were able to plug and play Morgan Moses and put Morgan Moses out there. So now you had Fant and you had Moses and that stabilized the grouping. There is no Morgan Moses this year because Mitchell's not going to be Morgan Moses as a rookie. Right. Chuma Adaga is bad at football. Uh, Connor McDermott is bad at football. And you don't, there was another guy who like the Jets uh, solid name dropped him the other day. I was like, dude, really? Like you're, we're really going to bank our bank, the fate of the future on this kid. I forget his name. I gotta, I gotta look it back up on the office. I, I have my depth chart here. Let me scroll right on up. Um, I think it might've been, I think it might've been Isaiah Williams. Actually. I think that might've been the guy he name dropped, but you don't have that proven player to fill in. Now, uh, I talked to somebody in, in the building about this, and, and Do- Joe actually said it after the after the draft ended as well. Every single year when teams finish the draft, they look at their roster and they say, okay, we drafted this guy at this position. Why the hell are we paying this guy this much money? Let's cut the veteran. Let's go with the rookie. That's what happened with Washington when they let Morgan Moses go, and then the Jets were able to sign him on June 25th, which is a date I'll never forget. Uh, because if I ever forget it, I think I'll probably be slapped very hard. But the Jets were able to sign him on June 25th. They are hoping that a similar offensive lineman is let go in a similar situation. A player was drafted, the veterans cut, he's freed, he's now available, where they can go and get their proven veteran left tackle. If they are able to do that, the basement of the offensive line's potential is elevated significantly. I mean, we're talking like rancher status if they're able to get a veteran behind these guys because you're now going to have the situation where, okay, we're hoping that George Fant's going to be a stud and Mekhi Becton's going to be a stud. And if these two guys are studs, boom, we got Fant, Tomlinson, McGovern, Vera Tucker, Becton, a top 10 offensive line in the NFL. But if one of those guys goes down, if Fant goes down and he regresses to the mean or Becton goes down and he struggles, the Jets will have that veteran, that Morgan Moses type behind those starters to then put in and stop it. You know, it's not necessarily like a Band-Aid over the hole. It's legit spackling the hole, and you're fixing the hole, and you're going to be like, okay, we can now move on with this thing. So right now, my concerns with the offensive line, with Becton, with everything like that, is just because you're banking so much on hope with very little that you've seen, and you don't have anything behind them. Because we are one injury away from Connor McDermott protecting Zach Wilson's blind side. We are one injury away from Chuma Adaga coming in and playing meaningful reps on the offensive line at left tackle or right tackle. That's a problem. That's a concern. That can take all these good feels that we feel about the Jets and just flush them right down the toilet. So over the next couple of weeks, before we get to training camp, I think it's imperative that the Jets go out there and find a way to add a proven, veteran, established offensive lineman in the Morgan Moses mode mold behind these guys so that if something happens, if their faith in these two guys isn't rewarded, they have the the insurance policy behind them because right now there is no insurance policy. I mean, they're, they're, they're driving a, a BMW right now that they have no insurance on. And if you get scratched, you're paying for all that out of pocket. And that's not a good thing. I think I dropped a career record in analogies just now, by the way. I really think I did. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Morgan Moses, Connor, and Bree for, forever tied. <laughs> I said that to Joe. I had, to, I had to text him after the draft because I told him I don't think he picked that. He was so like killed by the uh, he was so obviously tired from it all. I thought I was tired. I can't imagine how those guys felt. 
uh, I told like when we were at the draft, I asked him about like this. I asked him the question, like about like, are you guys looking to the veteran market for like a lineman? And I was like, you know, like last year, you guys were able to sign Morgan Moses. Although, you know, to be honest with you, you probably could have done that a day earlier or a day later. It didn't have to be on that day. And he's just like, he just like took the question strides. Like, yeah, you know, we are looking for that. I, I told him later, I was like, dude, I was like, you know, it's like you saw, and he knew because he texted me on my wedding day. Like he like he said, like, hey, you know, congratulations. Like, you know, I'm, you know congratulations, blah, 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 I'm getting married. So he knew, like, obviously he signed the guy and then said it. But I was like, I was like, hey, just so you know, I made that joke. And he goes, oh, damn it. He goes, I didn't pick up on it. So you can tell those guys were in uh, they, he's, he's not Mr. Coffee, man. He's not Mike McCagney who was wired at all hours of the day. I think he was, he was ready to go home and sleep. Well, I know you're well rested now after the draft because three times in this podcast, you've said replicable successful. Yeah. So How I'll about that? that? Well, I've been working on uh, See, draft time comes <laughs> and radio hits come. So I've had to say that like 27 times for random radio stations. So I think I've gotten pretty good at it now. Like, okay. I'm just going to go out and like bring it out in like my everyday life now with Brie. Like, yeah, Brie, I, I don't know if going to the grocery replicable. store is, is replicable. Like every day of the week. Maybe I we would like you to up. count how many times you drop that word before she replicable picks up on it. Yeah. Uh, well, she's in the other room and she's wait. We're going to the gym after this. So she's definitely like, I don't think she's watching TV. So I think she's listening. She's probably listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And now she's going to be on to me. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> All right. One last thing real quick. We talked about Becton and how, if anything, this draft helps out his stock with the Jets for now. Uh, what about the other side of things? Are there a couple guys on this roster that are just in deep trouble now after this draft. I mean, the Michael P. Ryan jumps out off the page right after the running yeah. back. Um, maybe the tight ends. Um, who stands out to you as as doomed, I guess? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, P. Ryan, definitely. I mean, P. Ryan was yeah. doomed last year. I mean, it's just, he's a shame. Like, I know everyone's like, oh my God, the reason the 2020 draft sucked was because of Adam Gase. Like, it's not why. I mean, there were there were very few players. Like that was just a bad draft from Joe Douglas. I'll be honest with you guys. Like it was just it was just a bad draft. He had a bad draft. He's now had two good ones, so it erases the first one. But um, P Ryan is the one that that sticks out for me more than anything else, just because he was drafted for a different scheme. I mean, he's not really a, a zone blocking running back. He doesn't have that much speed to get to the outside and then cut it up the hole. So I think P Ryan is probably the one at running back that really sticks out to me on offense. Uh, at receiver, I would say probably Denzel Mims. I mean, I know I saw him working out, and and the Jets obviously and Joe Douglas aren't going to be willing to give up on a second round pick yet. So I think they'll probably take him with them to OTAs and mini camp and potentially training camp. But he is somebody I could easily see dropped in training camp if he doesn't have a good summer. Because I mean, look, right now he's sixth on the depth chart because you got Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and Garrett Wilson above him. You got Braxton Berrios and Jeff Smith above him. So that's fives, so and that puts Denzel Smith in the talk with Rodney Adams, Tariq Black, and DJ Montgomery. So. That's obviously not a great sign. So if he can't play special teams, he's going to have no role on offense. And the Jets are not going to do this thing like they did last year where they make him inactive all the time. They'll just cut him and move on from him, cut their losses. Or they'll try to flip him for another um, – they'll try to flip him for another uh, rookie who is an early-round rookie who's struggling, who they believe like a new environment might help him in a position to need. Uh, tight end, I probably wouldn't feel too good if I was Trayvon Wesco. Uh, I think he might be gone. Lawrence Cager, I'm fascinated to see play tight end, but that's probably not a great sign for him either. And Kenny Yaboa, we'll see, because uh, I talked briefly there about Jeremy Ruckert. He's a guy that, that he's going to be utilized this year, but he will be this team's starting tight end by the end of next season. By the end of 2022, by the end of 2023, you're going to have Jeremy Ruckert as this team's starting tight end. The Jets absolutely love him. They know that there's a lot of technique that they got to work on. They got to fine tune his blocking a little bit, but his mentality of he can block. He can receive. He has the ability to catch the football. He has the ability to run routes. He just needs to be taught how to run routes, right? Like that's the whole thing is he just needs to be taught these things. Once he is, they view him as a complete full package tight end who's going to jump CJ and going to jump 
Tyler Conklin probably by the end of his second year. So I would keep an eye on Ruckert because I think he's going to be like we've t- Brees Hall and Ruckert are probably my two favorite picks in this year's draft. Ruckert, I probably wouldn't have drafted because I would have gone elsewhere. But now that they have him and reading about him and doing some research on him, I think those two guys are going to be the two picks that you were going to talk. Like, look, we'll talk about Gardner being a great player, Johnson being a great player, Wilson. But I think when you talk about this draft, it'll be wow. The Jets were able to get Brees Hall in the second and Conklin in the third. Holy crap. Look what these guys are now. Like, I think those Rucker. guys could be Ruckert. Sorry. Yeah. What did I say? Ruckert? Conklin. Oh, I said Conklin. Yeah. Sorry, Ruckert. <laughs> um, those are the two guys I really genuinely believe are going to be going to be game changers, like like legitimate game changers for them. Uh, those are the ones I can see losing their jobs on the offense. Uh, defense, Jabari Zuninga, this is probably the end of him. I mean, the fact that once they drafted Clemens, it's like, all right, that guy's probably done now, which is, you know, a shame because he he was actually the player that when he was drafted fit that Justin Tuck, Brandon Graham type role, and he just hasn't come along at all. I don't see anyone at linebacker that would be a surprise cut. Cornerback, uh, maybe Justin Hardy. I think that's probably the one that that he's got a pretty big cap hit, and the Jets have a lot of young guys now where if those guys can step up and be special teamers, it wouldn't surprise me to see Hardy go. Um, and then safety, it's all pretty wide open there. And then, uh, yeah, kicker, we'll see. I'm, I'm fascinated to see the Zerline Panero uh, battle battle it out there. That's that's our looking ahead biggest biggest fights at training camp, right? Go with the kickers. I mean, I'll write that down and write it this week. I need a story to write this week, so maybe I'll I'll do that. We got rookie mini free agents. You, you got to do the UDFA breakdown. Yeah, maybe. Hey, they Connor, write a full do, story. Do UDFA's on... matter too, Connor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marissa knows. Uh, just write a story on Zonvin. Do you know? Oh, he's the all name team. I was, I was, he is on the all name team. You were, you were correct. I mean, the Jets. I know his agent too. His agent's a great guy. The Jets have such a great all name team. Two Wilsons. I'm sure you guys discussed this. Two Carters, a Bryce Huff, a Bryce Hall, a Bryce, Bryce Hall, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Quincy and Quinn and Williams. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that in one of the podcasts that you missed. Yeah. I foreshad I foresaw this in my career when I was in college and wanted to do play by play. I, I, I saw this situation coming. I was like, yeah, we're just gonna go writing around, writing and talk on a podcast. <laughs> All right, good stuff. That's gonna do it. Um, we gotta get going, but thank you as always for tuning in. You can join the athletic for one dollar a month for six months right now. Great deal. Get all the writing wrap-ups for the, the draft. Baseball season's going, basketball playoff, hockey playoff started last night. So $1 a month for six months, theathletic.com slash can't wait. And we will be back with you with another hey, episode. Yeah, This is so small. But I just do find this very <laughs> funny that like it was two months ago that I remember writing like during free agency about the Jets targeting a corner and how it was going to be like uh, DJ. Once they signed DJ, it's like DJ Reed on one side. And then on the other side, it was going to be a Hall Eccles done open competition. And my phone or my phone and my Twitter, my mentions were just absolutely destroyed with, are you, there's no way Hall is not this team starter. There's no way they're not starting Hall. It's Hall, it's Hall, it's Hall, it's Hall, it's Hall. Now, I'll be honest with you. I thought Hall was going to end up being the starter. It was just going to be an open competition. I think the Jets going out and drafting Gardeners tells you all the, 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 the public perception of Bryce Hall and like his past breakups and what he did compared to what the Jets actually felt inside that building was more dramatic than even I was led to believe. Like I knew they were like, yeah, he's an okay player at that. Like number two, number three. The fact they were able to now draft a guy and sign the guy. And now it's like, oh yeah, you'll see time if one of these guys goes down. Oof. And he's going to be competing for like that number three, number four corner job because they love Eccles and they love Dunn. So that's going to be a uh, oof. Yeah, go on, close the show again. Sorry. But you said good guy to have for depth. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you again next time.